On this episode of the Falkirk FC podcast, I'm joined by Keith Gurley and Kenny Jameson from the Cobbs Board of Directors. We discuss the recent AGM, the CDM deal of the council, the pitch, a bunch of our topics, and probably most importantly, the Falkirk Supporters Society. The FSS raises money from fans every month to buy a shareholder in the club that secures the club's long-term future and also gives much-needed finances to the club to operate. If you're interested in the FSS and feel like you might be able to contribute and you're looking for a bit more information, please visit FalkirkSupporters.org where you'll get all your information as how to sign up and how the society operates. Here is Kenny and Keith with an update on how the club is running and what their plans are for the future. It's a very interesting episode, so hopefully you enjoy it. If you do enjoy it, please subscribe and you'll make sure you get every episode of the podcast to your podcast player every single month. So here is Keith and Kenny with this month's show. Kenny, Keith, thanks for joining the podcast. We're speaking just after the club's AGM in February and we're looking to bring the fans up to date how the club is operating. But first, do you want to introduce yourself to the fans if they don't know you already and bring them up to speed about what your roles are on the board? Okay, so my name's Keith Gurlick. Um I joined the board in December last year. Um, my my role primarily has been looking at the infrastructure of the club and how the how we spend money on improving the facilities and uh, make sure that it's a safe and friendly environment for the fans. Um, I would I would say that um, my experience has been largely positive and quite humbling. That the, the club I've supported all my life, suddenly I'm responsible or partly responsible for, for it being successful. Uh, hi, my name is uh, Kenny Jimison. Uh, like Keith, I joined the board uh, last uh, December 21, so about 14 months ago. Um, my background's in sales and marketing, commercial functions, so I largely get involved in the commercial side of the business uh, and also all of the communication. Um, so uh, those are my primary responsibilities, and Keith and I also um, have the pleasure of, of um, liaising with John and Paul as, as the sort of key conduits um, to the board on the football side of things. So, uh, so that's also part of our remit, which, is, which has been a lot of fun. Um, so yeah, that's me. How are we as a board, uh, how do you assess what's happened on the pitch this season? Are you, are you happy with the progress that you've made in the time that you've been here? And given John and Paul the tools that that they've now got in the park, yeah, I think we're we're, we're both very happy with the way things are progressing. Um, clearly, when we came in um, fourteen months ago, things were on a real downward trajectory, um, and and there was a, a real risk that, that the club could have even have ended up in League Two had that trajectory continued. Um, it's it's been turned around. We're now um, competing, obviously, at the top end of, of League One. Um, obviously, the result on Tuesday night was disappointing, but um, nevertheless, there's been massive progress uh, on the pitch. Um, and, and off the pitch, we, we, we see the same sort of level of progress in terms of how the, the, the business is progressing behind the scenes. And I think, importantly, the whole culture of the place feels very, very different. It feels like a much more positive, progressive, upbeat, um, atmosphere around the place, you know, everybody looking forward to coming into their work in the morning um, and working really, really well together as a team. So, so yeah, I think we're re- really pleased with the progress that's been made. But having said that, there's, you know, there's still a very, very long way to go. We've, we've set out a, an ambitious goal of getting back to the Premiership by our 150th anniversary, 2026-27. Um, and from where we are today, that seems like 
you know, still quite a steep mountain to climb, but we're, we're confident that we can get there. Um, but there's a, there's a hell of a lot of work still to be done between now and then. Yeah, I, I'm hoping that the supporters feel that the, the, the club is back a little bit. There's the, There was a feeling that... Um, a disconnection, and I, I, I imagine COVID had a fact factor in that as well. But you know, you you speak to people, you run into people, and the feeling is that we've taken some positive steps to where you know back to where we were, where the, the fans feel connected with the club, they feel proud of the club, and they they feel a connection with the players. And the players, I think, and John and Paul have played their part in that as well. So, so uh, overall, very positive. Speaking as a fan, just walking along to match day compared to the past five years, the the anticipation to a game is completely different. Instead of worrying about what's happening, you're actually quite excited. So for a fan's perspective, I have to praise you for, and the management team for what they've produced so far this season. If it's any consolation, we do the worrying for you now. <laughs> <laughs> have, have there been any surprises that you've come across being on the board for what you expected it would be just as a fan? <laughs> yeah, every, every day is a surprise. Yes, yes is the honest answer. There's been lots of surprises, not all, not all of which we could necessarily um, tell you about. Um, it's, it's just it's been it's been a, an ongoing challenge to, to to fix things, to try and improve things, to try and um, pull things together and point them in the right direction. Um, you know, COVID had a big impact on the business, and 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 when we therefore inherited it, it was kind of like trying to recover from a sort of, and it was definitely a sort of post-COVID hangover. Um, but there was, there was a lot of basic building blocks that we had to put in place on, on the commercial side, for example, you know, a, a good commercial architecture for sponsorship, you know, properly priced, even simple things like sales materials and sales brochures weren't necessarily in place, obviously recruiting a new commercial team. So there's, there, 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 and there's been lots and lots and lots of examples um, of, of, of basic processes and procedures that we've had to put in place around financial management and reporting um, as well. Lots of stuff in key area on the operations and... Contracts um, and stuff contracts. like that. Um, yeah, so, so just loads and loads and loads of building blocks that you just have to, you know, get your, roll your sleeves up and get your teeth in. It's, it's nothing that, that, that none of us have done before in, in, in previous working environments. Yeah, the skills are definitely... There's, I have a, a number of my skills are transferable in terms of contracts and, you know, construction and repairs and maintenance. I, I, I think the surprise for me is just the valuable work that volunteers do at the club. Um, it's tremendous. I mean, ob so many faces I know, but you, the level of dedication in the club and commitment to the success of the club is remarkable. I, I knew it was there, but I just didn't understand how deep rooted and how and how important it was. And the staff as well. Uh, the, the, you know, this, this remarkable change we've, as you know, we've made uh, in terms of trying to, you know, do things differently. And the support we've had from them has been has been commendable, and, and a tribute to them. So we're speaking after the AGM, which I think was the end of February. I was speaking in March now, but the big headline that came out of that was about a £1.2 million loss for the club last mm -hmm. year, which I believe was a record for the club. Um, can you explain where that loss come from and why it suddenly jumped from previous years to that? Uh, and what, what drove that over the past 12 months? Primarily, it was a reduction in turnover. Um, the, the early part of the season was impacted by COVID. 
um, and there was a very slow uh, upturn in, in attendances through through people's concern about being engaging in public life and going to games and going to hospitality. So our turnover was roughly 700,000 less than it would ordinarily have been. Um, I, I, clearly the performances on the park had a factor. Um, it, we, it, struggle, it was a struggle to encourage people back to games when our, our, form, our form post August was so disappointing. Um, we lost Kieran and Alec, who, who left. Alec retired, and Kieran to pastures new. And, and these were these were the centerpiece of the commercial, you know, the commercial revenue earning. Sammy joined, but Sammy was just on his own, you know, with, with no real uh, experience in, in commercial. So, so when you lose two well-established figures and you replace them with somebody who's learning on the job, it. it had an, you know, all those factors contributed to um, the reduction in turnover. Uh, the cost base was higher than budgeted as well. There was there was ex there was exceptional items of spend, um, and we also had some bad debt when our shirt sponsor refused to pay anything beyond his first his first instalment. So, all of those things in totality contributed to the loss. The, the loss was not as damaging as it would ordinarily have been uh, because we started the season with £700,000 in the bank, which was the, the investment from Phil and Carrie Rollins, Phil and Carrie Rollins, and the, the sale on, our sale-on fee for Will Volks leaving Rotherham and going to Cardiff. So... So and I think we finished with fifty or sixty. So so that so that having that cash was a big big part of being able to, you know, survive through the loss. We also had some very strong investment from the patrons, from the from the FSS, and also Bairn for Life as well. Uh, so so that was about a quarter of a million, and so the, between the cash. The, you know the cash we had and the investment, we were left with a couple hundred thousand of miscellaneous, which is, you know, the things I, I, I described earlier. So, so if we'd managed to, if we'd managed to get our turnover up to the level it is this season, uh, or projected to be this season, the loss would have been, surprise, surprise, three, four hundred thousand, the figure we generally sit at. Mm. Well, speaking to Jamie uh, at the start of the season and then in our last podcast, he was talking that you'd set quite ambitious targets for this year, stretching the targets out we as have. well for commercial. We have. So what's the club financial position look like today? Um, it, we're going to, because of performances on the park, it's very likely we will exceed our targets, you know, particularly if we get past air. Um, there is, but we still need to keep going. Um, there's a there's a slew of revenue. Obviously, we're sitting here in March, so our financial year goes to May. So we need to continue the levels we're at in hospitality and retail and, and uh, attendances nudging above four thousand uh, for a couple of weeks is just fabulous. Uh, so. We also need to keep a firm grip on costs, unfortunately, because uh, there is some cost creep. As we progress in the cups, in the cup rather, 
with that comes additional costs. So we need to keep an eye on those things. But but we are reasonably confident, touch wood, that we will achieve our targets this, this year. What has the cup run then done for the club and securing this year's financial business? Oh, 100 or You've got the numbers, Kenny. Yeah, if um, I know it's, it's very it's very positive. Obviously, if we if we um, if we lose to air, we'll have benefited to the tune of about one hundred and fifty thousand between prize money and uh, and television money. Essentially, how it works is you you receive your prize money when you get knocked out. So the further you go, the more you, the more you get. So that would be, that would be the sort of the, the benefit to the club if we lose to air. If we go further than that. It would be a minimum of about another hundred and thirty-five thousand on top of that, so about two hundred eighty-five thousand. So it's, it's, it's a massive benefit to, to get to get to a semi-final. Um, is a huge benefit to the to the club. Uh, on top of that, you also get a share of um, gate receipts, which I think at the semi-final is pooled. So, so yeah, I mean financially, it's 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 really really significant. Um, having said that, however, we've. Uh, we were running at £400,000 loss to start with, uh, and therefore any upside is really just going towards closing that gap. Um, but because of the remedial action that we had taken um, at the tail end of last year to ask for extra investment to cover the 400000 whilst we didn't receive that all in investment, we did um, receive some in further investment, both from the patrons group and the support society and some individuals. We also took on £145,000 in soft loans. We put some 10-year season tickets uh, on sale and sold, sold 14 today. So those initiatives um, broadly covered the, 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 the projected shortfall when we submitted the, the numbers for the audit. So this um, additional um, revenue from, from the cup is, is, is upside. Um, but... We, you obviously have to net off money that you have to give to the opposition because they, they're due a share of gate receipts and so on and so forth, um, player bonuses and things like that. So, so um, and, and the other big picture is that we've we've managed to secure a grant for um, fifty percent of the cost of replacing the pitch, which we hope to do this summer, and partly because the because it's very close to the end of its lifespan. Um, but also because there's a grant available that might not be available next year and this coming summer we're not going to have any concerts. So, you know, you need four or six weeks um, to replace the pitch. Under normal circumstances, we, 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 might have, we might have concerts, so we're not going to have those this summer. So this is the perfect opportunity and we've secured that grant, but we've got to find the other 50%. So the cup money will, you know, m make a massive difference in, in, in allowing us to, to replace the pitch. So the new pitch, is that going to be on another synthetic surface or is it a hybrid? What's the club planning for that? It's, um, it's, it's going to be essentially the, the, the same again. Um, the, the pitch that we've currently got is the very best quality um, 4G AstroTurf pitch. Um, we've looked at the, the, the options, obviously. Um, I think in an ideal world, all fans would love to go back to a, to a grass pitch. Um, but when you look at the revenue that we would lose by by having a having a grass pitch rather than an astroturf pitch, plus the maintenance costs, plus the potential impact impact on things like concerts, 
Um, we don't feel that, that, that now is the, the, the optimum time to revert back to a grass pitch. Perhaps when, when we're in the Premiership um, and we're able to, you know, to, to break even on, a, on a, a normal trading basis and are less reliant on other, other forms of income, that might well be the appropriate time to do that. The, the hybrid pitches are, are fabulous. So they're, they're part AstroTurf, part grass, but they're unbelievably expensive and, and really just way beyond what we could sensibly afford at this moment in time. So, yeah, I mean, you saw last season at Firhill where there were two teams playing there and, and, and our pitch is used constantly. It's yeah. used by ourselves to train the Shire are here. Um, the foundation use it extensively. It just wasn't feasible to go to grass. Yeah, because I think we all have the great idea of playing on a sunny grass surface in August, but by the time you get to January, we've seen some pretty horrendous pitches in this country. I mean, even East End Park was cutting up quite badly uh, the other night there. Uh, So so in a perfect world grass, but we live in the real world, unfortunately. We also want to expand the academy. So the plan, the current plan is to, to regrow the academy come 2026 into the, the next level, which is back to the level we were at prior to 2017-18. But that involves, at the minute we've got under 16s and under 18s, that level involves a minimum of seven teams. Um, so so to, and we don't have Stirling University anymore, which we had last time. We had our, our full academy. So um, one of the things that we need to have an eye on is how are we going to accommodate all of those, all of those teams, as well as the foundation, as well as, as as well as the other requirements for the pitch. So, so not only, not only, you know, do we really need an astroturf pitch there to, to, to help that? We we probably need to look, you know, at what else we can do, um, either either on this site or elsewhere to, to actually accommodate all of the the pressures that there will be on pitch requirements um, come 2026. On the academy, then, uh, how is the club financial position at the moment impacting the rebuilding of that? Are you, are the, is the club's finances now allowing you to rebuild at the pace that you want, or are we not quite where, where you would want to be? Well, at the minute, it's, it's just the 16s and 18s, so we can comfortably afford that within the, the current football budget. Um, the plan for next year is to, is to expand a bit to form a development squad, um, now the bulk of the development squad who hopefully will play in a reserve league will come from the sort of fringe first team squad players who, who maybe not get enough game time or are recovering from injury. Plus we also have the, the option of, of stepping up some of the, the better under 18s. They can also step up and also play in the development squad. But the idea is that the core of the development squad will have somewhere between four, five, maybe six modern apprentices. Now, Pierce Carroll is the, is the first, so we signed Pierce on a modern apprenticeship this year, so he's the first of those modern apprentices. The plan is to add another four or five this year and, and form a development squad, as I say, out of that core, plus the under-18s, plus the sort of fringe players from the from the first team. Now, there's extra costs attached to that, um, extra costs in terms of, you know, matches and buses and kit, and um, so, 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 so that requires more investment in youth development. Um, but it's a relatively small step up in comparison to what we're what we're hoping to to fund it to come 2026. So 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 we're taking it in sort of bite sized chunks, um, and expanding it gradually. But yeah, I mean that that all has to come out the football budget, and we'll come on. I'm sure we'll we'll talk about the, the, some of the key messages that the EGM. One of one of the key ones is is essentially that um, 
if we want to have the same football budget going forward, if we're in League One or a better football budget in the Championship, um, we cannot afford to just run at £400,000 operating losses every year because we, we, we know from, from experience that you know you just cannot guarantee that that's going to be covered year upon year um, via investment. Whilst it's great to have cup runs, you can't bank on them because you just don't know whether you're going to have a cup run. We would love to know that we're going to be able to sell players, but again, you can't guarantee that you are going to sell players. So we'll come around. I'm sure we'll come around and talk about it later. But we really want to change the operating model completely so that it becomes a much more sustainable model, and we, we know in advance that we're going to have that extra money to be able to fund the football budget to the levels that we want to fund it. And as the academy grows, and as, the, as, as hopefully we get into the championship then you know, we, need, we need to be looking at ways in which we can expand that football budget, never mind, just keep it the same. But the reality is that unless we find ways to do that, going forward, if we couldn't run at a £400,000 operating loss next year, all our other, other things being equal, we, we, our start point would have to be to reduce the football budget by £400,000, which is, is, is not obviously, you know, is not what any of us want. So if we were, if we were in League One next year, um, all other things being equal, we'd be starting with a football budget £400,000 less than this year. Now, if we, you know, we all hope we're not in League One next year, but if we are, by definition, we'll have, we'll have failed in four consecutive seasons to get promoted. So it would be highly illogical that having a football budget that's £400,000 less than this year will increase our chances of promotion next year. Now, hopefully we'll get up this year, we'll be in the Championship, but even if we're in the championship, we want to be generating a football budget that allows us to compete at the top end of the championship, not not just not just a football budget that'll that'll enable us to survive in the championship. You know, we've got to be ambitious and we've got to push on and try and get to the premiership. And we've looked at the the sort of budgets that we had the last time we were in the championship, um, and as things stand, we couldn't afford to get back to those levels. Um, without having an, uh, another operating loss, which, as we've said, we, we, we don't want to run with. So, so again, we need to find ways to generate extra income over and above the club's sort of normal trading performance in order to fund the sort of football budgets that, that can either get us out of League One or allow us to compete at the top end of the Championship. So normal trading performances, season tickets, shops, hospitality, everything we do at the moment... Is for, I mean, the, the, the supporters step forward and they buy, their, they buy their season tickets and they come to hospitality. Even with that, even with, you know, the 2,000 odds that we get through season tickets, through the fabulous numbers we get in hospitality, and it, it's still not enough to take this club to where we want it to be. We would still be left with facing a, a three £400,000 loss. So, so these funds have got to come from exceptional... From, from from different routes. I mean, we had the we had the sportsman's dinner with the Enchira down Shire Friday night, fabulous, and it raised what 20, 15, 16,000 pounds, which is which is just wonderful. But it's not enough, to feel, you know, to 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 be able to match what all the Falkirk supporters want and all and the board want, which is a, a club operating sustainably, successfully in the Premier League. And that's and you see that with, with some of the the rich you know clubs where they're owned by a rich individual, they're writing three four hundred thousand pound checks a year to to try and secure Premiership status. So that's the economics of it. Yes, and it's also important to, to to point out that this is not new. 
this is not a it's not a new issue that we're facing. When you look back at the the nine seasons we were relegated in 2010, you look back at the nine seasons we spent in the championship. The club's average operating loss across those nine seasons was 450,000 pounds. So this is it's not it's not a new issue we're facing. Um, that was the average, and, and by and large, we managed to cover the operating loss on average by selling players. So our average income from player sales across those nine seasons was £460,000 as it happens. Now that sounds like it was a very smooth 450000 out and 460000 in. It didn't work like that at all. It was a much more jagged trajectory, so there were real peaks and troughs. Some years we'd sold several players and we maybe started with a large cash balance, so therefore we were actually using up cash reserves in the subsequent year. Other years there was a net deficit and we were having to take on soft loans. So, for example, the, in 2015, the year we got to the cup final, I think we made a £1.2 million profit, um, but around £600,000 were immediately paid out in in repayments for soft loans, which shows that, that we had accumulated up until that point, we'd accumulated 600 grand in debt. So it's not new at all. Um, it's, it's what we're trying to do is work out a different model that allows us to, to operate at a similar sort of level. Um, because previous boards were operating at those kind of losses because they recognised that in order to generate the football budget, you need to compete at the top of the championship. That was the kind of operating loss you had to run at. And that was the dilemma we faced at the start of this season. If you looked at the squad we had without the 400,000, we wouldn't be getting 400,000 loss. We wouldn't be getting 4,000 through the gate at the moment. We wouldn't be where we are in the cup. Uh, there is a real correlation between investment and success on the park, unfortunately. One of the big reasons for this that maybe fans don't quite realise is that one of, one of the big, big reasons why it's so difficult in League One and so difficult in the Championship is the way in which money is distributed by the SPFL. It's so heavily weighted towards the Premiership um, that if you're not in the Premiership, it's really, really difficult to get into the Premiership because about 82.5% of all essentially distributed funds go to the Premiership teams. And then there's also something called UEFA solidarity payments that obviously come from UEFA that are essentially for those clubs who are not participating in Europe, but 100% of that goes to the, the Premiership teams. So if you're in the Championship, you're, you're, the total distribution of the Championship is about 12.5% of the total central, central pot. And in League One, it's about 3.5%. So we're currently competing for a, you know, a salami slice of a number that's already a salami slice of the money that's distributed centrally. So that, that's what makes it so difficult. Um, so if I can give you another couple of stats. If, you, if, we've, if we finished sixth in um, League One last year, so we received £95,000 as our prize money for finishing sixth. In the Championship, if you finish sixth, that would be about 267,000. So it's about three times more you get for finishing sixth in the Championship than you, you do in League One. If you finish sixth in the um, Premiership, you're looking at about 1.85 million. So it's about 19 times. That's our turnover. <laughs> which is our turnovers. You know, we're, we're pushing, we're hoping to get two million turnover. So in the, in the, in the Premiership, you, you're basically getting our entire turnover just by being in the Premiership, almost before you've kicked the ball, just from... Because even if you get relegated in the Premiership, you pick up about 1.4 million, 
plus you'll you'll get your UEFA solidarity payment, which could be three or four hundred thousand pounds, and you'd get a parachute payment for for being relegated. So again, you'll pick up two million pounds from from being relegated. So it's um, there's nothing we can do about that, and that's just the way it is. So we've just got to to operate within the way in which Scottish football currently operates. But those are the the sort of hard financial facts that make it really really difficult for us. Um, for any full-time team, really, to, to, to compete in the championship, never mind League One. And when you look at the, the you know the, the stadium in which we operate, it's very much a Premiership stadium. Um, and and I think fans and, and Keith probably wants to talk about me a bit more about this in a second. But I think fans have a have a have a view or or, or a, a mistaken understanding that that um, this is a really, really expensive stadium and we get a particularly bad deal from the council, but that's that's not the case at all. Actually, if if we're in the Premier League, this facility, which is a Premier League stadium, is is perfectly reasonably priced. The issue isn't that the facility is too expensive, it's that our income's too low. And obviously it's not the council's fault that we're in that we're in League One. Um and and, and the fact that our income's too low really is largely by dint of the distribution of money in Scottish football. I don't know if you want to say any more about that, Keith. Yeah, so th there has been some chat um, about the stadium. Uh, in reality, we pay no rent. Um, we have free use of the facilities upstairs on match day. Um, we have to use the, the council for catering. Um, and we pay a contribution towards the upkeep of the stadium. Now, that can go up or down, depending on the, the level of the, the upkeep. Um, some years it's as low as 60,000 a year, other other years it's up, it's up at um, you know, 80,000, 90,000. Um, so, so the, the, you know, but on top of that, you, we've got rent for the Kevin McAllister stand, and we, you know, and then we've got running costs for electricity and gas, which are now escalating because of inflation. So, so, uh, uh, personally, actually, you asked me a question earlier about what was surprised me. Uh, what, what's when I when I joined the board, one of the things I perhaps should have said was that when you look at the deal with the council, it's not the way it's portrayed. Um, you could argue that that you know that our contributions should slide up or down depending on what league we're in, but I'm not convinced that the council would necessarily agree with that. Not given the financial pressures they're under, so. So, I, I would just I, I would just like to emphasise to the fans that that we are looking at cutting costs and controlling costs, and we're in a good relation. We have a good relationship with the council. We speak to them regularly. They understand the constraints that that, that we're working under. They are sympathetic and supportive as far as they can be. So the stadium isn't. A big problem for the day-to-day -day running of the club. It's potentially as we, as you know we're 20, twenty years old now. We're coming up. There's going to be more money have to be spent on the on the, the general upkeep of the stadium. You can see the the, the 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 pillars on the outside. The paints are peeling, and and there's you know some of the you know some of the the doors are you know are need repair. There's always something happening. So. Um, the longer we go in the stadium, the the, the risk are is that the, the, that figure will increase because we'll have to, for safety reasons, and, and we'll have to spend money on the stadium. But that will be driven by the council. And that is the one downside of it is 
that the you know because the council own the stadium, they largely have the they're in the driving seat of what they spend. So so but as I said earlier, we're in dialogue with them, and you know, and we have a positive working relationship. When we when we took the seats out of the family stand family area to remove the expansion joint, they they were they were great to work with. They were very supportive. So you talked about the the new model that you want to go to. I'm assuming the FSS still plays a big part in that going forward. Very much so. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's two parts to this. There's the there's the ownership model, which um, we've talked. We call it a three-legged stool. Fans have maybe heard that that phrase. And essentially, essentially what that means is that we're uh, that obviously historically, or since certainly since 1998, um, the club the club has been fan owned, but it was. It was um, it was essentially majority owned by six individuals who became the, known as the major shareholders group, the MSG. Um, the 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 three-legged stool model, which has has the support of all of the current shareholders, including the large shareholders, is to create a much more balanced ownership model, whereby um, rather than having the majority of ownership in in just a small number of individuals. It's it's much more balanced in the sense that we'll have a, we'll still have a small group of large shareholders, but but um, we'd also have a sort of medium-sized group of medium-sized shareholders, if that makes sense, and then a large group of small shareholders. And in order to to bring that about, um, a couple of years ago, it was agreed to create new shares and issue those shares for sale. And the idea, it was and still is, that those shares would be bought um, by medium-sized shareholders and small shareholders. And in doing that, it would dilute down the shareholding of the large shareholders so that we end up in a, in a position where broadly a third of the club is is owned by each of these three groups. Um, it doesn't have to be exactly 33, 33, 33, but, but broadly that's that's the idea where it's, 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 it's kind of ownership's balanced between those three groups so that n- none of those groups can dominate. None, no major decisions about the club can be taken without the consent of all three groups. So um, because special resolutions at an EGM require a 75% majority, if each of those three groups all have more than 26%, then effectively they, can, they could block... Um, any special resolution. So no major decision like, for example, the sale of the club um, could pass without all, without everybody being supportive. So it's a way, it's a way, it's a mechanism to protect the club long term and ensure that we operate by consensus and collaboration and with the support of everyone. Two two vehicles were set up to, to really kind of drive um, the medium-sized and small shareholding. The patrons group were created to drive the medium-sized shareholding. So anybody investing over ten thousand pounds, basically between ten and ten thousand, a hundred thousand. And then the obviously Bairns Trust existed in a previous in a previous guise, but the Falkirk Supporters Society was kind of reconstituted and revamped to to drive the small shareholding. So so they they form a, a, an integral part of the ownership model. Um, and, and are charged with building one leg of the of the three-legged stool, if you like. So, so yeah, they're they're absolutely key to um, to, to the, the ownership model going forward. So I think they have about six hundred and fifty members at the moment for for the, the model to work and for their shares to to go to where they're supposed to be. What realistically do the board need that to get to? Well, there's there's about a million shares left. Um, we sold about a million shares over the last um, 14 months or so. So the current picture, 
um, as it stands, is that, is that large shareholders um, have now been diluted down to just under 50%. So they're about 48% of all shares currently issued are owned by large shareholders. Medium shareholders um, have about 31%, of, of which the patrons group have 27 So really the patrons group have driven the creation of that, that medium-sized shareholder block. And small shareholders currently have about 20%, of which the supporter society have nine. So, so obviously there were already a lot of individual small shareholders. We've got about 1,000 shareholders in total. But the FSS have grown from, I think, less than 3% to 9% in, in quite, a, quite a, a, a short period of time. So they've done really, really well to get to, to 650 members. There's still about a million shares still to go. Um, the, the, the hope is that th those will be sold roughly in the proportion of 750,000 to the supporter society and, and 250,000 to patrons, but it doesn't have to be exactly that. But once those um, further million shares that are that are approved for sale but as yet unsold, you know, become sold, we should end up in a position where large shareholders about 39%, medium will still be about 31 with the patrons group being 27 but small shareholders will be about 30% with FSS at 21%. So, so the, the hope is that over the next period, the FSS are going to buy somewhere between 750,000 and a million shares. Um, how many members they have really just dictates how long it's going to take for them to buy those shares. Because obviously the less members they have, the longer it's going to take. Because they're, at the minute, they're, they're generating about £8,000 a month. Which, if you know, multiply that, multiply that by twelve, you get up towards you know eighty four to ninety thousand. Um, the number keeps growing every 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 week. So um, they could they could they're in a position where they can generate about ninety thousand pounds a year. Um, so that will take them three three and a bit years at current rates to buy seven hundred fifty thousand shares. Um, but the more members they have, the faster those shares can be bought, and the more money that brings into the club. So it's really really important. I mean, we, we you know constantly um, encourage supporters to sign up for the Falkirk Supporters Society. It's, it's only it's only £10 a month, which we do appreciate that for some people, particularly at the current economic climate, £10 a month, you know, is a lot. Um, but for a lot of people, it's it's affordable. It's, it works out about £2.37 a week across a whole year. So for, for really for less than the price of a cup of coffee, um, fans can subscribe to the Supporters Society. That gives them not only allows them to be part of a large you know, fan ownership block. It also allows them to participate in elections to appoint um, two two of the board directors of FSS elected. So it gives them a you know we now have democratic governance. So so it allows members to um, to, to participate in those elections. Um, and there's a whole bunch of other benefits that, that being a membership of the FSS brings. So so we definitely want to encourage supporters to sign up. Where does the money from the FSS go at the moment? Does it go into the club's cash flow, or or does it go to other shareholders, or where does it go? No, there's there's no money leaves to go to other shareholders. So there's there's no shares being bought back from any other shareholders. Every penny that FSS puts into the club um, at the minute comes comes right into the club. Um, this past year, um, that money has been invaluable in helping to plug the £400,000 operating loss. It's one of the joys, uh, once, at least once a month, um, Gordon Wright, Director and Company Secretary, presents with a share certificate for, and, and I'm, I'm always delighted to sign it because, you know, because what it means is that the ordinary fans 
are you know they're buying a share in this cl in their club, and I think that is vital to to everything we're trying to achieve here. Absolutely vital. There, there's nobody will protect the club long term better than Falkirk fans. We we believe that passionately. Um, other clubs do have different ownership models. You know, some some clubs are owned by external people. I mean, by the by the which I mean they're not you know originally fans of that club. Um, some clubs have wealthy benefactors, um, and there are there are upsides to that model. Um, and, and, and maybe if you're a fan of Manchester City, you would say that the upsides are you know are well worth having, for example. But um, for a club like ourselves. Um, you know, there, there are, there's some clear risks attached to that as well. Um, you know, I, I suppose some fans are maybe superficially attracted by the notion of somebody wealthy owning our club who's willing to just spend half a million pounds or more of his own money year upon year upon year to get us to the Premiership, to, to buy us a great team, to, to sort of fulfil our dreams. Um, wouldn't that be wonderful? But people are willing to do that are quite hard to find. Um, you would have to question why why Falkirk because if you if you've got that sort of money to burn, there are probably other ways in which you, you could spend it. And the risk is that even if you can find somebody who's willing to do that and they're a good person, um, you've given away control of the club. So at some point in the future, that person's circumstances are going to change. They, they may decide that they no longer want to to blow half a million pounds a year. They could get hit by a bus, they could get divorced, they could decide they like basketball more than football, you know, all sorts of things. And what you can't then do is control who they then sell the, the majority shareholding onto. Um, and once you've, it's a bit like selling your house, you might love your house, but once you've sold it, it's somebody else's house and it's gone, there's no guarantee you can ever get it back. Um, so that's that's the risk. Um, we, we, we think fan ownership is a better model for this football club. It's 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 a model that's working for Hearts, it's working for Motherwell, it's working for St Mirren, it's Morton or Mel on the road we we making it work. Um, and and there are other clubs um, where it, where it, you know who who appear to be making a success of it. There are also other clubs who've tried it and and given up. Dundee, Dunfermline would be good examples of clubs that tried to make fan ownership work and just for one reason or another decided that they couldn't and ended up selling a majority shareholding again to, to Exxon, Dundee, Ten American and, and they're firming to, to German investors. So, I suppose this is the challenge that we face as a board because we were all around when the club went into provisional liquidation in 1998 mm. uh, and the feeling of horror that our club was slipping from, from our grasp uh, and so I've felt that we should be a fan and a community-owned club from that moment onwards. Maybe we're out of step with the with the, with the rest of the support. The, the you know you know and and this is and this is the the big question for me: Are we out of step? Is there an appetite? Is there a desire for this in sufficient numbers to sustain it? Yeah. And we'll find in the coming we'll find in the coming months. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's cl there's clearly an appetite. Because we've got now we've got 28 patrons and we've got 650 supporter society members, which is brilliant, and, and we're you know we're really kind of grateful to everyone who's stepped forward and and made that investment. We're also really grateful to to, to all of the fans who come to the games and buy season tickets and buy stuff in the shop yeah. and go to hospitality and, and buy 50-50 tickets, etc. Because all of that's important as well, just to to keep 
going season to season. But it's this, it's it's the bit over and above the normal trading stuff that we that we do. We we need to, we need we need enough fans to do all of that and also be willing to chip in a wee bit extra on top. Because to get to four hundred thousand pounds a year of income in perpetuity it's essentially crowdfunding, and the great thing about crowdfunding is is that you know the more people you can get to participate, the less each individual has to contribute. So if you can get up to two and a half thousand fans chipping in ten pounds a month or two pound thirty seven a week, um, you can quite quickly get to a big number like four hundred thousand pounds. Yeah, and. and and fan ownership, you're always going to have a club, but really it'll depend on how much, what league you're going to be, you're going to be in. Um, so I suppose we're in the we're in this situation where we where we want to be back in the Premiership, and we understand the numbers needed to do it, and 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 you know maybe maybe we're dreaming. <laughs> I don't believe we are. I believe the appetite's there, the fans are there. It, it's just we've just not found the magic formula to 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 get that connection and the numbers we need. Mm-hmm. But one of the things we, we we did at the AGM was we we, we talked through three options in terms of s- strategic options scenarios because we, we could we could run the club from next season starting from next season we could run the club to break even. With no £400,000 operating loss, we could just run it to break even within its means, within its P&L. But that means cutting the football budget by £400,000. We just need to make that really clear. That All other things being equal, the only the only place you could you could um, cut so that you don't have a £400,000 operating loss is to take £400,000 out of the football budget. Now, we can do that. Are you, you going to be the one to tell John that? Well, uh, well, yeah, yeah. Uh, clearly that's still that's, hats on that's, for that one. That's absolutely not something. I mean, the reason we recruited John and Paul, one of the one of the reasons, is that they're really, really ambitious. Oh, they boy, want they. to get to the Premiership. Yeah, they do. We want to get to the Premiership, but we can only, at the end of the day, they know and we know because we've told them that we can only fund the football budget to the extent to which supporters and shareholders fund the club, because we, we can't produce four hundred thousand pounds out of thin air. None of us are the wealthy benefactors. Who can afford to write personal checks? We're, we're just fans who've come come out the you know, Ken McAllister stand. They're out the main yeah. stand and are now in the boardroom. Yeah. You know we've put we're, we're able to fund what we can fund fund as individuals ourselves. But that's it. So the harsh reality is the only people who are going to fund a business are its owners. And if you're fan owned, by definition, that means that it has to be fan funded. So. We can set a baseline budget. So the idea is that we set a baseline budget next year, a football budget, whether we're in League One, we'll do a separate one for the Championship, but we'll set a baseline budget that will be what the club can afford based on its P&L, normal trading, and then it'll, that football budget will then be topped up. It'll be topped up by all of the Supporters Society subscriptions. So everybody that, that signs up for Falkirk Supporters Society knows that their money will go into the top into topping up the football budget, the, the monthly contribution that they make, and we're also launching a new, um, essentially a donations um, vehicle for, for fans who, who just want to help the club, um, and, and they can also put money straight into the football budget by subscribing to what we're calling the Forever Falkirk Fund, um, 
so anybody that, that, that wants to support the club in that way can, can do so. And all of the money from the Forever Falkirk Foundation and all the money from FSS will top up the football budget. Now, how much it gets topped up is entirely out of our hands. That's entirely in the gift of supporters. So if it's 650 supporters or 1,000 supporters or 1,500 or 2,500, there's nothing we can do to control that. It'll be as, as, as many as, as choose to to support the club in this way. And the football budget will be a direct reflection of the appetite that fans have for directly investing in the football budget. Yeah, I mean, we'd, have, we'd, still, have a, we'd still have a squad, but it wouldn't have the strength and depth that, that we currently have. And, and it might we might not even be we might not even be full time. So that that is the risk. If if if, if yeah. we were to run break even, we're not talking full time football with a twenty one man squad with no. the quality we've got. No, no, you're very unlikely to be full time long term if you've taken four hundred thousand pounds out of the current football budget and you're still in League One. You know, you're you're looking at a hybrid squad in in the interim and then possibly part time longer term. Um, that's that's just the reality. Now, we, we, none of us want that to happen. We, we, we no. hope we're not going to be in League One. We, we hope to be in the Championship. And the picture in the Championship is a bit better. But if you want to compete at the top end of the Championship, it, you know, it has to... You, you still have to kind of overspend by the same kind of levels, particularly because when you get to the top end of the Championship and it really comes to it, you're pr- almost certainly either competing with clubs that are bigger than us. I mean, in the past we've had Hearts, Hips and Rangers. Now, that's unlikely to happen again, but you, you, you're going to easily have a Dundee or a yes. Dundee United. Or both. Um, or both. Um, and or you could be competing with uh, with clubs who have a wealthy benefactor. So, so whilst we're trying to operate to a fan ownership model, if you're up against a Ross County or, or Dundee United, for example where their, their owners have got a track record of simply writing off operating losses and funding them out of their own pockets. And that, I mean, it's perfectly legitimate. They're allowed to do that. But if you're competing against that, it's not, it's not a level playing field. So we, we have to, therefore, as owners of the club, have to be able to generate sufficient funds that at least allow us to compete against those kind of clubs. Can you explain the Forever Falkirk Fund a bit more? And are you worried that it's conflicting with the message for the FSS if you've got two parallel schemes or, or three if the 1876 club is still going as well? No, we're, 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 not, a, we're not at all um, worried, worried about conflict. The, the key to commercial success for the club is to give fans as many different options, as many different ways in which they can, they can support the club. Um, when we identified that we need about four hundred thousand pounds, you know, in perpetuity as 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 a kind of the target figure, and we said between three and five hundred thousand, but for simple, simplicity, just call it four hundred thousand. We back in early December, we spoke to the Falkirk Supporter Society to get a gauge from them on how much of that they felt they could contribute, and and they've done a, you know a lot of research talking to other clubs. Um, looking at the you know the, the, the different ownership models that, that Motherwell, St Mirren and so on have um, and, and what they concluded was that they, they reckon they can sort of double double their current numbers um, to about 1,200, 1,300 and if you multiply that up at their current rate which is about an average of £12 per, per person per month that multiplies up to just short of £200,000 now Hopefully they can maybe do a wee bit better than that, or the average twelve pounds can go up to thirteen or fourteen pounds, and they can maybe get to two hundred thousand. But but 
you know, in simple terms, the support society feel that they can get to about half or a bit less than half of the sort of numbers that we need to get to, which, which is great. I mean, that'd be fantastic if they can, if they can uh, achieve that and deliver that. But it's clear that there's not going to be one single sort of silver bullet solution to bringing in £400,000 a year. It's, it's going to have to come from multiple, multiple, things, blend yes. multiple sources. So the FSS got a really, really important role to play. But the, the Forever Falkirk Fund was, was, a, was a very simple idea that, that says, well, you know, the, 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 the very simplest commercial model is, is, is allowing fans to make donations to the club. And in actual fact, this year, We've had a lot of donations um, from various sources. Um, th th so the appetite for making donations to the club is actually perhaps a lot higher than fans realise. Um, the amount of money we've had in donations is, is probably about 90% of the money that we've had from the supporter society, actually. Um, so so there, there is an appetite for donations. Um, so the, the Forever Falkirk Fund is, is, is just that. It's a really, really simple way that fans um, who want to want to you know, chip in £10 a month or pay a lump sum um, can make a donation straight into, and they know it's just going straight into, the, straight into the football budget. What we wanted to do was to, to um, motivate fans to sign up um, and, and one of the things that we looked at was, was given anybody who signs up to the Forever Falkirk Fund to, to, to either make a, lump, in a large lump sum donation or a monthly donation um, is to allow them to pay their season tickets monthly as well. So the idea here is that they, they, you can effectively combine um, in one kind of simple monthly payment to the club. It can be part season ticket and part donation to the Falkirk Fund. So we're hopeful that by making it much easier for for you know for people to pay um, smaller amounts over 12, 12 monthly um, payments rather than single lump sums up front, that that will encourage. You know, anyone who can afford it, and it's important to stress that if fans can't afford it, we don't want them stretching themselves. But, you know, if, if people can contribute whatever they can comfortably afford on top of um, buying their season ticket, then that would be of a massive help. However, we want to make sure that no one, we don't want anybody switching from the supporter society. You know, if somebody's currently paying £10 a month at the supporter society, there is no benefit to them switching to, for, you know, no. to, to forever focus. We don't want that to happen. And there's no reason for that to happen because obviously um, they're two completely different propositions. The, the, the support society proposition is all about shareholding. It's all about having a democratic voice, participating in elections and, and creating a large block of, of shareholders in a, in a single voice via one member, one, member, one vote organisation. That would allow them to, you know, to, to, to vote at AGMs and participate in major decisions. Appoint two directors and appoint two directors, obviously. So the Forever Falkirk has none, none of that at all. It's 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 purely a, a um, it's purely a, a, a donation scheme. But nevertheless, we're making the um, pay monthly, pay your season ticket monthly option available to all FSS members, so that, that there's no. You know, there's no absolutely no reason why any FSS member would would would, would switch, but to compare them is is a bit you know it's, it's, a, it's a bit of a daft argument. It's a bit like saying, well, well, should we should we you know should we close the shop more often because it might be competing with selling hospitality, or should we sell less advertising because 
yeah, undermines our ability to sell sponsorships. You know, they're, they're two they're different propositions, and the club has to have multiple propositions that allow supporters to invest in a club in, in any way they, they choose. You know? so, I mean, the full board are FSS members. Uh, I was on one of the very first calls with the previous board about the FSS, along with Stuart Adam and, uh, and, and Gordon Wright, uh, and I was vociferous on that call about about because the, there was some discussion at the time that the FSS wouldn't have shares, and I was adamant that they would. So we are all very, very strong supporters of FSS, and we will, you know, we've worked alongside them. Well, we're all FSS members yeah. as well. We've worked alongside them for the last year or so, you know, and and we, you know, there's a new committee coming. We need to work closely with those guys as well. So there, there's there is no attempt to undermine or to or diminish in any way what FSS have achieved. Yeah. That's not our intention. No, this this has the full support of the whole board, and obviously too the representatives on the board are FSS. So, so there's there's no there's no conflict, and there's no there's no concern whatsoever. Okay, so just ten towards the end, a couple of our points to the AGM. Uh, first one I think was ticket prices would be increasing next year. Didn't increase in years. Is that going to help close that gap, or is that just simply keeping up with the rising costs that you're undertaking at the moment? It'll, it'll help a little bit, but we're 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 really really conscious of um, the, you know the economic pressures that people are under um, and the current cost of living. Um, but at the same time, as you said, pr prices haven't gone up in years, and costs have just risen and risen and risen and risen, risen. So there comes a point where the club can't just can't continue to absorb cost increases, but not pass on some of that. The, the electricity and the gas in the last few few weeks have been quite hair raising. Yeah, because yeah. we use a lot of electricity. Yeah. <laughs> so we've uh, we've spent a, a you know. A lot of time um, looking at the various permutations for pricing, and, and one of the other things we're trying to resolve as well is that the current structure of pricing between the different stands, and between so we've got Prime, you've got Main Stand, and you've got the Kevin McAllister Stand, and then the different ticket types, you've got Adult Concession, Under 18s, and Under 12s. That there is no kind of obvious pattern in terms of the relationship between the different prices for the different sands and the different ticket types. So we're trying to bring those more into line and to make more sense of, of how the relationships between those numbers are. Um, we, can't, we can't move there in one go um, because it, it would, it would you know, impact on certain ticket types and certain stands too much. So we're trying to take a, a, you know, a sensible, careful approach that does reflect the, the the increased costs, but also brings some of the the, the the relative pricing into line. So, those numbers will be released in the next in the next couple of weeks, as long uh, along with an explanation for the um, Forever Falkirk Fund. And the hope is that um, throughout April and May, we're going to have um, a lot of people. You know, we've got two and a half thousand season ticket holders, so we're hoping that everybody's going to renew, and hopefully, we're going to get some new season ticket holders. And we're hoping that a big chunk of those season ticket holders will either sign up for the supporter society um, and put their membership in, knowing that 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 that, that money is going to top up the, the the football budget. Or if they if they don't want don't want to do that, um, you know, make a donation to the Forever Falcon Fund. 
and there's no reason why people can't do both. Of course, um, you can you can be an FSS member and contribute to the to the Forever Falkirk Fund, and they're not they're not mutually exclusive. Um, but it, it's it's all about people contributing and participating at a level that they can comfortably afford, and that's very different for different people. Um, so, and and in whatever way they choose, um, you know, if somebody said. Will I spend money in the shop or will I buy hospitality? You would say, well, it's up to you. You choose to spend your money in whatever way best meets your needs. So this is so this is no different. Whatever works best for the individual. Um, but in an ideal world, do do both if you can afford it. So just finishing up, have you any final message for the fans as well? Still pushing for promotion, either playoffs or if something. Magical happens at the top of the week, um, and we're also just one game away from Hamden. So, what's your message to the fans as we're coming towards the end of the season? Well, I'll go first. Uh, thank you for your support. Um, as I'm, I think I mentioned earlier, it's quite humbling being on the board when, when literally we came from the stands. Um, so, we appreciate. I know. I know John and Paul appreciate the the support. I think we've got a series of cup finals coming up. Uh, please get behind the team. Please make as much noise as we possibly can, particularly at the away games. Uh, sorry, the home games. Uh, where I think, I think I, I it might have been a coincidence, but you saw the on Saturday against Peter Knight after the 52nd minute of um, minute of applause for Gary. All of a sudden, the players stepped up. So I think please continue the support. Back the team. And we'll still be going for promotion. If it's the playoff, it's the playoffs. But I still think we can uh, we can give Dunfermline a scare between now and the end of the season. So that's my message. Yeah, like, likewise. I think that you know, looking at the big picture, we we feel that you know the club's been on a downward trajectory for for a long time, and and we we feel that in in quite a short period of time we've we've kind of got beyond the bottom of that curve and it's starting to go back up again, and that's that's been in 14 months that's been the result of a, a huge amount of teamwork, um, you know, across the piece from the football side to the, the staff to all of the volunteers, um, but also every single supporter and every single shareholder, they really have been fantastic in terms of stepping up and, 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 and contributing and and really putting their shoulder to the wheel. But the, the message would be, you know, th- thanks for, for doing that so far, but we do still have a long way to go. And the Premiership is, is, a, is an uphill struggle um, to get there. And we can get there if we all continue to put our shoulders to the wheel and, and contribute what we can and get behind the team and get behind the club in, in every every way that we that we possibly can. Um, but that but that's how we'll succeed by all of us mm-hmm. pulling together and pulling in in, in the same direction. So um, the supporters have been magnificent so far, but we need them to be to continue to be magnificent and to and to to try and as you know whoever can do a bit more to do a bit more uh, as well. Um, it won't be for the for, if we if we do you know fail. It won't be for the want of effort on on every, everybody's part um, to to try and you know rebuild the club and and, and as we go, um, you know, build something that's sustainable for the future. Build build a a, a way of operating that allows us to. To, to be sustainably successful, to to, to to build the infrastructure behind that success that allows it to be, you know, to, to, to continue on an ongoing basis and get away from this kind of season to season, hand to mouth, year to year, 
you know, we, we need to get beyond that kind of short-term um, short-term perspective and really try and build something that's that as we move forward, you're putting solid foundations in place at every level so that we can build, you know, build a club that we can all be proud of, you know, in, into the future. And the biggest message is you've been doing that in the past 14 months. You've foreseen improvements on the pitch. There is improvements off the pitch and the way the club operates. And we just need to keep it going. Keep it going. Yeah, yeah exactly. And, right? and the supporters can play their part. Yeah. And it is very much appreciated. Absolutely. Okay, guys, thanks a lot for your time and bringing an update to the fans. Thank you. Pleasure to speak to you.